When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot's new subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Been dreaming of a stitch fix for books? Now it's here. Tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for, and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. Visit mytbr.co slash treatyourself to sign up today. That's mytbr.co slash treatyourself. Listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 180, and today we are talking about books being released on October 16th, 2018, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Book Riot's Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from BookRiot.com. Hello! If I had known it was episode 180, I sh- we should have like themed it on books that just take a sudden turn right in the Ooh. middle. <laughs> None of my books fit that, sadly. <laughs> no, I don't oh, think mine well. do either. Yeah, so today's book's not super 180-ish, but still great. Maybe I'll do that for a theme, like, for Backlist this week or something. There you go. Just theme it on, you know, the other show. <laughs> <laughs> that would work. Um, but I'm going to tell you about my first book, because it's awesome, and it's about time we start talking about books. It's A Very Large Expansive Sea by Tahari Mafi. And it was on the uh, National Book Award long list. It did not make the short list, but it's so wonderful. I don't know why. It's sort of loosely, not so loosely based on her own experiences growing up in America as a Muslim teen. Uh, It starts in 2002. There is a young girl. She's named Shirin. She is a Muslim teen. Her family moves around a lot. Her father and mother are always looking for better places for them to live, better jobs, Uh, They want their children to have the things that they did not have growing up in Iran. And so she's about to start her third high school in two years. Um, It's her sophomore year. Uh, It's 2002, and it's a year after September 11th. So obviously, being a Muslim teen who wears a headscarf has been very difficult for her. Uh, She's been subjected to a lot of bullying. A lot of horrible, horrible things have happened to her. Um, you know, people just yelling at her from cars, people telling her to go back to her country. Um, the teachers at the schools think that she's not supposed to be, like, in her classes. They're like, oh, this is the advanced class. You know, you want, you know, English as a second language. Like, they just, everyone says and makes horrible assumptions. Um, and so her parents, who did not have, you know, a very easy life, they don't really have a lot of sympathy for her or her brother because... It's so much easier for them, they think, than, you know, it was growing up in Iran for her parents. So they're, they complain. They can complain, but, like, it doesn't do any good. Her parents don't call the school about the bullies. You know, they don't, they don't do anything. They just tell her, like, she's so lucky, you know, to be in America and have this life. Um, so she just kind of keeps her head down 
and ignores the world around her. She said one good thing about having the headscarf is that she can put her earbuds in and nobody can see them, so she can sit in class that way and sort of listen to music and tune everybody else out. So she's in this small town, um, and like I said, she has a brother, she has an older brother. He doesn't have it quite as bad because he doesn't, you know, wear a headscarf. He doesn't immediately uh, show that he is Muslim, so he doesn't get teased as much as her. Uh, so he and she are obsessed with breakdancing. That was kind of a 180. Like, did you see that coming? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did so, not. They're, they're so into breakdancing, uh, and her brother decides that he's going to form a breakdancing club at school, and she thinks that secretly he's doing this for her, because he knows how much she loves it, and she needs to get away from the world and everything that's going on. Uh, and she also has a biology partner named Ocean, um, and she really likes him, but she doesn't want to be his friend, because, you know, she always gets let down if she, you know, boys are not usually interested in her romantically. She thinks, you know, they're just sort of, like, interested in her because she's different. You know, she's that girl that wears the thing on her head. Um, so she's afraid of letting her guard down and becoming friends with Ocean, who is very persistent in, you know, trying to be her friend. And it's just about, like, you know, the, her experiences as a young girl, and, you know, should she let her guard down... Where is this breakdancing thing going to go for her? It's fantastic. I was reading this book, and I was so vividly seeing it as a movie in my head. The dialogue is great. Like, the way that she talks to other people. Um, the sort of, like, you can hear her, like, teenage inflection almost. It's it's wonderful. So, again, that is called A Very Large Expansive Sea. It's by Tahari Mafi, and it's awesome. Hooray! I have my eye on that one. Um, I definitely need to get it from the library as soon as possible. Um, I have a middle grade novel for y'all. It is The Season of Sticks Malone by Kekla Magoon, and I love it so much. This book is so sweet and so fun. Um, it's about two brothers, uh, Caleb and Bobby Jean, and I think they're like 10 and 11. They're young, um, and they live in a small town in Indiana, and it's the summertime, and they're just planning on having like a ton of adventures, hanging out. Um, but they can only have adventures very close to the house because their dad is very strict and won't let them go outside of the town's edges for sure and like not even very far from the house. Um, like uh, Caleb always wants to go on the school field trip to Indiana um, or to Indianapolis because that's like the nearest big city and he wants to go, you know, on the school field trip and he's not allowed because his dad doesn't think that the big city is safe for them. Um, I should mention at this point that um, it, it's really obvious when you look at the cover, but this story is about a young black family. Um, so Caleb and Bobby Jean are black. And so one day they're playing in the, in the woods behind their house and they meet a new neighbor, Sticks Malone, who is 16 and super cool. Um, he's kind of a Tom Sawyer character is what I first thought. Like he's very smooth talking. He's, you know, got sort of a, like a, like a wheeler dealer vibe to him. Um, and he helps them because they have done a silly thing. They traded their baby sister Susie for a bag of fireworks from another... <laughs> like 
Like you do. Like you do um, from a neighboring boy. And um, they got in trouble, clearly. And now they have to hide this bag of fireworks so that it doesn't get confiscated by their parents. And as they're in the woods trying to hide this bag of fireworks, that's when they meet Sticks. Um, and he suggests to them that he can not only help them, like, keep it secret, but also he can help them use the bag of fireworks to, like, get super awesome other stuff by doing uh, trades. Um, and so they start to hang out with him and like execute these fun trades to get different things. Their ultimate goal is to get a moped so that they can go on adventures. And of course, this doesn't go as planned. Um, and part of it is that, you know, they're very, like they're 10 and 12 and then uh, hanging out with a 16 year old and their parents have some feelings about that. Um, like, who is this sticks kid? Is he okay? And then uh, Caleb, it just really is dreaming of big things. And he's feeling so sort of stifled because his dad is so strict. Um, and so you get this whole tension between like what you think the world is like when you're 10 versus what the your parents think the world is like. And it's so interesting because it's sort of timeless. Like there aren't cell phones or really computers. Like there's not a lot of technology mentioned. So it could be like the 60s or it could be yesterday. Like you don't really know. And, um, and I think that sort of lends itself to the storyline because, you know, the dad in the family is clearly to the to an adult reader's eye clearly concerned about racial violence like the things that he says to his sons are clearly designed to keep them safe from being mistaken for bad kids or put in situations where they would experience racism but you know like Caleb is 10 he doesn't know that and you're you're sort of seeing the story through his eyes um and so like Kekla Magoon really beautifully pulls off this thing where as an adult reader or an older reader, you know exactly what the tensions that the family are trying to navigate um, are, but like Caleb doesn't know exactly. And like over the course of the story, it becomes clear that Styx is a foster kid um, and who's been moved around a lot. And, you know, he has his own issues. And again, like Caleb just thinks he's the best. Um, but you kind of can see like, oh, like this is, I can see why this is so hard for the parents and you're like oh I'm nervous about what's going to happen with these three boys like what are, what kind of trouble are they going to get in um but it's so much fun it's so beautifully handled the ending like made me feel like that happy tears emoji like I was like I became the embodiment of the happy tears emoji for a good 10 minutes um so if you're looking for a diverse middle grade story for kids in your life or you love to read middle grade like I do um, and you just want like a really good heartwarming story, this one is so, it's so good. It's so good. It's really, the voice is so clear. The story unfolds so good. The pacing is so fun. They go on all these little adventures and then there's this sort of big payoff at the end. Like, oh, I just loved it. Um, so again, that's The Season of Sticks Malone by Kekla Magoon. I didn't know that you could trade babies for fireworks. I probably would have done that. <laughs> yeah. It's like the opening chapter is them trading their, their like, you know, smelly diaper baby sister for a bag <laughs> of fireworks. It's fantastic. Um, not speaking of babies or fireworks, do you want to hear about our first sponsor? Yes, please. 
Our first sponsor is the Flight or Fright audiobook, a terrifying new anthology edited by edited by Stephen King and Bev Vincent. Um, you can listen to it because it is an audiobook. Hooray! The audiobook is narrated by Stephen King and an all-star cast and features brand new stories uh, by King, including the Turbulence Expert and Joe Hill. Uh, that one is called You Are Released. And there are classic tales from the likes of Richard Matheson, Ray Bradbury, Roald Dahl, Arthur Conan Doyle, and many more. Um, you can start listening to it today. It is available now on CD and for download anywhere audiobooks are sold. So if you need some creepy reads for your ears, since we are headed right into Halloween sooner rather than later, this is a great addition to your listening queue. So again, that's The Flight or Fright audiobook, a terrifying new anthology edited by Stephen King and Bev Vincent. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I couldn't remember if my microphone was was on or off. They are, of course, <laughs> using construction equipment in the driveway next to my house right now. Oh, so of course. I'm very sorry. It's so loud. I keep muting it. I can't uh, hear it, so I think you're good. That's good then. Yeah. Uh, speaking of good, oh, this book is delightful. It is the library book by Susan Orlean. It is basically like a little love letter to libraries. Susan Orlean, very well-known writer. She wrote The Orchid Thief, which is a fantastic, like, true crime without any death book, if you're interested. Uh, this is her story about libraries, one library in particular, the Los Angeles Library and its branches. Um, she has been a big fan of libraries since she was very young. It was a very important experience that she used to have with her mother going to the library. Um, and when her mother passed away, you know, she felt like she lost something, like, as a library um, when she would go there because, you know, reminded her of her mother. And there's actually this really cool thing that I read in the book. She said that she learned that in Senegal, the polite expression for saying someone died is to say his or her library has burned, which Whoa. I just thought was so beautiful um, and stressful, but beautiful. <laughs> uh, so she's really, she loves books. And she talks about like how when she was a kid, you know, her parents were very frugal, and so you would not buy books because you could take them out of the library. But when she got out on her own, she wanted to have her own library and started buying books all the time, which is a, an experience that I really identify with. You know, my mother was a librarian, and then when I moved out, I wanted my own library. Um, so like I said, this centers around the Los Angeles Library and its branches. And in particular, a fire at the Los Angeles Library's central branch on April 28, 1986, in which... 400,000 books were destroyed and 700,000 books were damaged. The fire burned for two, uh, for seven hours and it was at 2,000 degrees. They couldn't oh even get anywhere near it forever. Um, and it was arson. And the man who most likely said it, she goes back and forth about his life. His name was Harry Paris. He was a wannabe actor. He lived like an hour south of Los Angeles growing up and he wanted to be a movie star and he moved to Los Angeles and According to his family, you know, he would come home and be like, I'm best friends with Burt Reynolds. I'm best friends with, you know, all these famous people. He also wanted to be a fireman and failed the test, which is a, like, ringing bells right there. Uh, arson uh, has been set very often by people who wish to be firemen. Uh, and uh, so that was, like, another clue right there that this guy was probably the man who did it. Um, and she also talks about... Not just him and this story, you know, going back and forth with, like, the crime, but 
um, the history of the L.A. libraries, the, the people that founded them, some very interesting characters. Uh, she talks about destruction of libraries throughout history. This is not anything new. You know, it's been done purposefully and politically forever. Uh, she talks about Ray Bradbury and how... Um, she talks about Fahrenheit 451, of course. She actually uh, burns a copy of Fahrenheit 451. No. She wants to see... Uh, what it looks like when a book burns to get an idea, you know, of she's writing about this fire and it's a very stressful thing for her and it takes her a very long time to figure out like what she's going to burn and, and to actually do it. It's very interesting. Um, and she talks about like how, you know, he had four children, small children at home and, and he couldn't write. He just wanted to play with his kids. So he would go and sit in the library and write and like how important libraries were to him. Um, she's a really great writer. You know, she touches on all these like wonderful things. She adds humanity to all of the people, you know, she talks about, like, the guy who's in charge of all these branches, and also mentions that, like, you know, his hometown is famous for inventing the Heath Bar. Um, just, like, little stuff like that. And so when I was reading this book, because I, I was just like, well, it's a new Susan Orlean, I'm just going to pick it up, I don't even know what it's about, I'm assuming it's about library books, uh, I started reading it, and my, uh, my boyfriend was like, you know, what's it about? And I was like, well, I don't understand it, it's about this giant fire at a library in Los Angeles, and, I like, I had never heard of it, and I was thinking, like, I would have been 10 when that happened. It certainly would have been something that made an impression on me. I mean, I watch the news all the time, and, and like, how would I not heard about this? Um, and then at the very beginning of the book, she was like, how did I not hear about this? And it turns out that when that fire occurred, it was also the same days as Chernobyl. So Chernobyl took over the news cycle and so many people did not even realize that this fire had occurred. It was just like, by the time it finally made the papers, it was just like in the back of the paper. I mean, I, I felt a little better because I was like, really, how did I not know this? Um, so it's just, as, as a library brat, you know, I grew up in libraries. Um, it, it, I just adored this to pieces, and it's so fascinating. So again, it is called The Library Book, and it's by Susan Orlean. I did not know that about arsonists and like people who failed the fire exam yeah. fireman exam that's so interesting there's a really uh, interesting book i can't remember what it's called it's by joseph wamba about the man who set um a zillion fires in california in the 1990s and he was actually an arson chief Whoa. on the fire department so crazy um interesting interesting Okay, my next pick is a poetry book because I am learning how to read poetry. Um, I like I've for years and years and years tried to be better about reading it and like not really succeeded, um, even though very well-meaning friends like we did a whole book rages episode actually about poetry because um, Josh tried so hard to get me on board. <laughs> but um, it's, I've, it's a thing I struggle with. Um, but earlier this year, one of the book ride insiders was passing around a link to this daily newsletter called Poem, P-O-M-E. And it's just a tiny letter that sends you a poem every day. And so this has been kind of amazing for me, actually, because I'm starting to, like, find poets that I like and, like, understand a little bit more about, like, the different kinds of poetry and, like, the different voices and um, it's been really cool. And so then when I saw this collection, which looks so interesting, I was like, aha, let's see if I can do it with a poetry collection. So it's A Portrait of the Self as Nation, New and Selected Poems by Marilyn Chin. Um, and she is an Asian American writer. Um, she is, her introduction to this 
collection is amazing. Like she's like she's just really clear about like you know being a feminist and being an artist and being an Asian American and like what poetry means to her as a political medium as well as a personal medium and an art form. Um, and so she's so like I really I really appreciated that the introduction she was thoughtful about like what it is that she's trying to accomplish as a poet. And also, this collects poems from her different collections that have already been published. So she they're organized by, like, sort of her career. So you see her earlier stuff and then middle stuff and then the most recent stuff and how she is um, sort of evolving her own craft. And I confess that I haven't read it cover to cover yet because what I'm trying to do is read a little bit here and a little bit there and, like, flip around a little bit because when I've struggled in the past with poetry is when I sit down and try to read it like it's a book, like a novel or like a nonfiction narrative. Like I, I just, I don't, it somehow it just doesn't work for me. Um, but I'm really enjoying them. Now I don't know, like, I don't know how you're supposed to talk about poetry. Like I feel like I know how to talk about novels and memoirs and you know, whatever. Um, but this, I am still learning how, like, what are the things you're supposed to tell people about the poems? Like they're beautiful. She's got an amazing voice. Um, they're very descriptive. They are not experimental, which I appreciate because that's like a bridge too far for me sometimes because um, I have trouble understanding what the poet is going for. But they're very straightforward. A lot of them are addressed to the reader or to a specific person, which I love. And there's a real sense of history as well as like modern social commentary in them, which I'm really enjoying. So... This is sort of part of a big reader experiment that I'm doing, and um, I'm feeling really good about it so far. I'm really glad I picked this one up. I also really love the cover on this. It's like this really sort of wild, like, illustration that things are turning into other things, and there's animals, and there's a person, and it's really, I just think it's stunning. Um, so yeah, if you are already a poetry lover, or if you are like me and sort of feeling your way around, I definitely recommend picking up some of her stuff and this collection gives you the full range of her career so far um, so that's a portrait of the self as nation new and selected poems by Marilyn Chin excellent mm -hmm. um, if I stop talking it's because I'm not entirely certain that my house isn't going to accidentally be bulldozed. I don't no. know what's going on out it's, there. It's so loud. It's like in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> Do you need to like lay down in the driveway so that yes. they can't bulldoze your house? <laughs> oh, speaking of houses, my next pick is in The House in the Dark of the Woods by Laird Hunt. Um, it's a tiny book, and I'm going to give you a tiny description because I don't want to give too much away. But first of all, it has an amazing cover. I am 100,000% on board whenever a book is, like, Play-Doh red. That's my favorite cover, uh, color. And it has, like, this weird, like, wolf arm thing going on. It's awesome. And it's a perfect creepy fall read. And it's small. And it's great. So, basically, this woman goes into the woods. She's out picking berries. It's, it's uh, obviously hundreds of years ago, I'm assuming. Um, and I'm saying, um, because I'm still not entirely certain what really happens in this book, and I love it. Uh, so this woman goes into the woods, and she's picking berries for her husband and son. She has a young son. He's, like, six. And she gets distracted, and she starts following these great berries that she's finding, and she ends up being lost in the woods. And But there's a captain of a ship uh, walking around in the woods. This this woman, is she's she runs into her, and, like, you know, 
captain's walking in the woods. That's normal. Um, <laughs> and she brings her to this house in the middle of the forest where this woman named Eliza lives. And Eliza brings her in and she feeds her and she she bandages her feet because her feet are a mess now because she's been walking. She'd taken her shoes off to, to step in the stream and then started running around. So uh, she takes care of her. And then, you know, after like she thinks just like a little bit of time has passed, she tries to find her way home again and she can't and she's walking and she keeps seeing a little girl in a yellow dress running through the woods. And she runs into the captain again, and then she goes back to Eliza's house, and this kind of goes on. And then, you know, she goes for a ride on a bone ship, which is not a euphemism. And (laughs) it's sort of like, you know, like, who are these women? How did they get into the woods? Like, what are they doing? It's not so much, like, a straightforward story. I mean, you could probably tell that from the way I'm describing it. It's not a very straightforward blurb, but... Um, it's sort of like a collection of foreboding events. Like, there's creepy stuff in the woods, and there's wolves, and and whilst these things are happening, she recalls her mother, who was not a very nice lady, and she recalls, you know, things that have happened with her husband, who was not a very nice man, and sort of, like, how they came to be living on the edge of this forest alone. Um, it's, it's just filled with symbolism for, like, colonial witchcraft and the evil that lives deep in the forest. It's a great fable. It's, it's fun and creepy. Again, it is In the House in the Dark of the Woods by Laird Hunt. Nice. All right. Speaking of things that live in the dark, (laughs) Third Love is back. So, using thousands of real women's measurements, Third Love designs its bras with breast size and shape in mind so they fit impeccably and feel even better. And now, since adding 24 new sizes, Third Love offers the most options of any brand, a total of 70 sizes. You can find your perfect fit in 60 seconds by taking their online test. You just online order and try it on at home with Third Love's Fit Finder quiz. And it's fun and it takes less than a minute. So there's no more awkward fitting room experiences, no more bright fluorescent lights. And this is hands down the most comfortable bra, comfortable bra, <laughs> the most comfortable bra that you will own. I can attest to that. It is definitely the most comfortable bras that I have owned. And from premium ultra-soft smoothing fabrics to expert design features like straps that don't slip, the details make the difference. The labels are even tagless, so they're not itchy. And because Third Love guarantees a perfect fit, returns and exchanges are free and easy. I've had the t-shirt bra. I've had a couple of the other bras, the names of which escape me. I've loved them all. They're so comfortable. I'm not cranky and trying to claw my bra off at the end of the day anymore. They're just, they're really great. I mean, we've been talking about them now for two years, and, and I continue to use them, and Rebecca does, and we just love them. So, uh, Third Love knows there is a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they are offering listeners 15% off your first order. So you go to thirdlove.com books to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com books for 15% off, and we thank them for sponsoring. I can attest to their returns and customer service because I had a thing where I needed like a half size, but I didn't know until I already had ordered one. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were really great about figuring out like, okay, what what do I actually need? And like taking back the old one and sending me the new one. It was really very smooth and easy. So yes. That's great. I know. It was very nice. Um, speaking not about bras. Uh, no, no. <laughs> I am never good at segues. My <laughs> next book is a short story collection called The Cambodian Curse by Gigi Pandian. It is a bunch of of stories that take place 
in the sort of Jaya Jones world, who is a detective by that, you know, in a series that Gigi Pandian writes, which I have never read. I've never read any of these books. I was sort of poking around at the new releases and thinking about what I wanted to read. And I was looking for a mystery and I saw this and I was like, sure, I don't care if I know anything about anything. I'll just pick this right <laughs> up. Um, but it was fine because the collection is organized around like a really specific premise. They're basically all locked room stories. So, you know, in that classic, like, okay, there's like a house on an island and somebody gets murdered but everybody was together the whole time like how did it happen um one of my favorites in the collection is about this group of travelers sort of seemingly thrown together by chance who end up in uh like snowed in in this um b&b and somebody gets murdered uh, somebody gets murdered in every story for the, or, or, <laughs> or stabbed perhaps not a hundred percent murdered but like at least 50 percent murdered if not a hundred percent um and it was really fun and then the heroine uh jaya jones is a historian which makes me happy because i got a history degree and her fascination is actually like with historical objects and um for example the title story the cambodian curse is about a cambodian sculpture that has like gone missing from a museum that had really good security um and the carving's owner was killed um like totally mysteriously and her sort of entree into the case is less about the actual person and more about the sculpture, which is, uh, is something I really appreciated um, as a history fan. And then there's another character um, who's a magician. And um, so all of his little stories like take place like in the course of him, like, you know, like practicing magic tricks or like being on stage for something, which was a really fun twist. I've never seen anybody do that before. Um, I just thought it was so much fun. Like it was kind of the perfect weekend, es like escape reading. I was just dipping in and out of this collection. Like, oh, I have 20 minutes. Like I'll read another one before I go grocery shopping or whatever. Um, and I will say that I'm always terrible at figuring out who done it. Like I am a sucker for a red herring. I don't know ever how anything happened. So I have no idea if like, like how, like, you know, some people like really pride themselves on like figuring out how the mystery worked and did this author do a good job of like laying the clues. And like, I'm just like, I don't know. I thought it was great. Um, I was stumped and, but I'm always stumped. So, <laughs> so, you know, your mileage may vary in terms of like how the clues unfolded, but I thought it was really entertaining. And I know a lot of folks are looking for more diverse mysteries. Um, and these like all have characters, like the main characters are all characters of color, mostly th Southeast Asian, um, Southeast Asian American. And, you know, the author is also Southeast Asian American. And, um, and it just, it's just so much fun. I just thought it was really fun. So again, that's the Cambodian curse and other stories, uh, which is part of the Jaya Jones, uh, series by Gigi Pandian. I need these. They're they're. I think you would enjoy them a lot. They're super fun. I'm doing a secret thing where, which involves like Agatha Christie, mm. and so I've been like rereading some stuff, and this sounds like perfect to go along with that. So yeah, the the there's a like an introduction and a forward by um is it Laura Lipman I want to say um she is no, indeed Laura, a no, person. No. 
Lori R. King. Lori R. King, oh. who I've read. Um, mm-hmm. I, I knew it was a lore or something um, <laughs> about, like, why locked room stories are so popular. And she references a bunch of Christie as well as a bunch of other things. And, yeah, it was, like, the, it's framed really nicely. Excellent. Mm-hmm. I can, like, hear you making Mr. Burns' fingers over there. Oh, yeah. I've already written it down. <laughs> like, my book of books to buy, yeah. <laughs> which is, like... Several, several, several pages long. <laughs> so my last pick today is not one that came out today, but it's perfect for the season. Uh, I just, I read a lot of books for today, and I didn't feel some of them. So I thought I would talk about this one that I loved. It is Costume Quest by Zach Gorman. It's super adorable and Halloweeny. It's a middle grade uh, graphic novel, but I would say it's like eight, eight and up. Um, So if you're looking for something to get your kids for Halloween besides candy, this is the thing. It's about a group of monster friends. Uh, They're they're grubbins. The monsters are called grubbins. Um, And they live in a world where there is no Halloween, but they have heard talk of this human Halloween. Sort of like, uh, you know, Jack Skellington hears talk of Christmas land. Um, So this group of friends, it's Clem and his pals, they're not super popular as far as monsters go. They get picked on a lot and bullied. Um, And they run into the town bullies on this not Halloween day, and they find out that there's going to be this great party that everybody's going to, and Clem really wants to go, but he didn't get invited. And so he tells the bullies that he has candy from Human Halloween. And they say, if you bring that candy to this party, we'll let you in. So, of course, the bullies don't actually mean it. What they mean is, like, when you show up with this candy, we're going to take it and beat you up and not let you into the party. But he's all excited, and he knows where the portal is to go to Human Halloween. So his friends are really not on board, but they are worried about him, so they go along. And they end up in Human Land. And now, of course, everybody's in costumes, so they fit right in. You know, nobody realizes that they're grubbins and not, you know, in costume. It's this super cute story about belonging and friendship. Like, their friendship is tested because it turns out he doesn't actually know how to get back out of the human Halloween land. (laughs) So they might be stuck there. You know, he's kind of like, sorry, guys. Uh, So it's got a little Nightmare Before Christmas vibes. And it's just, I hear it's going to be an animated series next year. So read it before it hits the screens. It's adorable. Again, it's called Costume Quest, and it's by Zach Gorman. That sounds like so much fun. It's adorable. All right. So my I saved my most intense book for last. Um, and this book uh, comes with trigger warnings for sexual violence and eating disorders. So if you do, and it's impossible to talk about without talking about those things. So if you're not uh, wanting to hear about that right now, feel free to skip ahead. Um, this is a memoir. It's called Heavy by Kiese Lehman. And... This is a really amazing book, but it is so intense. Um, it's like I, I really struggled with thinking about how I was going to talk about it um, because there's so much, there's so many different 
things to say about it. Um, and like, but also, you know, how to, how to say it well and how to talk about these difficult subjects on like a, in a podcast in five minutes. Like it's not easy y'all. Um, it's not easy to figure that out. Um, so I will try my best. Um, he is a novelist that I've been like reading for a while now. He had an essay, um, in the fire this time, if I remember correctly, and is the author of, um, an amazing novel called Long Division. He has another essay collection called How to Slowly Kill Yourself and Others in America. Like he's been on the scene for a while. Um, he's a really great writer. And this is all about his childhood and growing up as a victim of family sexual violence. Um, and also somebody who developed an eating disorder. Um, he, which was partly, you know, what the title references. He was a big kid and he was dealing with a lot of trauma that he just couldn't get anybody in his family to acknowledge, um, some of which was actually inflicted by family members. And so what he did was turn to food to deal with uh, that, like those complicated feelings. Um, so he did get very heavy. And then at a certain point in his life, he like the switch sort of uh, circumstances flipped and he started to lose weight and then like felt so good about sort of shrinking himself um, that he just kept going and developed anorexia. And, um, and you know, like, it, it's just heartbreaking to see this personal trajectory unfold over the course of his life. Um, and it, it just, you can see it so clearly. Um, he also develops a gambling addiction, um, which he shares with his mother. Um, he grew up in a single family home. It was just him and his mother. He spent a lot of time with his grandmother, who was like a real source of support for him, but was unable to be there for him in the ways that he needed her to in terms of the trauma he was experiencing. Um, and I think that, like, in addition to being just a really incredible memoir about the consequences of sexual violence and eating disorders and how hard it can be to escape from these vicious cycles that you, you know, through no fault of your own, find yourself in, um, it's also a really intense look at what the systemic violence of racism does on a personal level. Um, part of the reason he's trying to shrink himself is because he is a large black man and that is not a safe thing to be in American society. And so like it's all, it's, you know, it's partly his personal history and it's partly, you know, the pressures of society. And I mean, it's a lot of things that all just sort of tangle together and create these vicious cycles. Um, and so, yeah, and he just, he lays it out so clearly it's so evocative it's so well written um it's just really it's a hard read but it's a really important one I think and um and it's a quick it reads really quickly it has like a really intense internal rhythm you just find yourself carried right along I was really surprised I was just checking the page count because I was like oh it's like 200 pages it's actually closer to 300 it's like 250 some odd pages um but it, it just it just you just get sucked right in to his voice and to his world and it, it's a really it's a really amazing memoir um I think I saw, I don't know if it was that actual final cover or just like a blurb shot, but you know, it said something like from Roxanne Gay, the blurb was just like, read this. Um, and and it, I totally agree. Like it is just, 
I think it's a really important book. Um, and one of the interesting things about this as well, when you sort of situated it in the context of, for example, Roxane Gay's writing and Ta-Nehisi Coates, who has talked about what it's like to be a black man in America, um, a thing that Kiese Lehman does is he really deeply looks at um, the role of black women, both in black culture and in American culture, and sort of how they have been neglected and abused by both black men and, you know, the world at large. And he takes into, he takes that into account in a way that, you know, for Ta-Nehisi Coates is actually sort of famously criticized for not doing in Between the World and Me. Um, so there's, there's a lot of thoughtfulness and insight at work here, as well as just this really incredibly moving, heartbreaking personal story. So, and, and I will also say, like Five Alarms Not Bomb, it, the, the ending two pages are just a gut punch. Um, and and I, 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 like, I encourage you to read it knowing that going in, and it, but it's so important. It just feels really important that this book get as many readers as possible. Um, so yeah, I, I thought it was amazing. I think it's it's a really stunning memoir that needs to be on everybody. If you are a memoir fan, like this needs to be on your shelf. If you wanna if you wanna think more about, you know, personal trauma and how that ties into what's going on in society, it's really important. And he's just an amazing writer. So again, that's Heavy, an American memoir by Kiese Lehman. Well, <laughs> and now I need like a tissue and I'll run around the block to deal with all of my feelings. <laughs> well, that is it for our new books. What are you going to read next? I think I mentioned it on this podcast the last time I was on, if not the time before that. I'm going to be reading The Tangled Tree by David Quammen. It feels like forever, which is a little bit of a problem because I got it out from the library and it's already overdue and I, they won't let me renew it. So, <laughs> so you're I, just keeping it? I, Are you just like well, protesting? I'm <laughs> so afraid that if I send it back, I'll never pick it back up. So yes, mm. I am being the worst library patron ever. I apologize to the Free Library of Philadelphia from my desk. I'm so sorry, but I'm going to finish it hopefully as soon as possible and send it back what about you there's some interesting information in that that susan orlean book about libraries about how like when someone famous dies someone always checks out their book mm. or memoir or their albums and they never get returned oh or if there's like a crime someone takes all the files you right. know, about a person or something, and, and they never get returned. And I just thought that was so interesting. I had not heard that before. Yeah. Um, I'm going to return it. I just need to finish it. <laughs> I believe you will. Uh, I am actually, so I am going to start Cry Wilderness by Frank Capra. It is the never-before-published 1966 novel from the legendary director. Rare, Rare Bird is putting this out. Um, secret, I will share with you. Don't at me. I hate It's a Wonderful Life. <gasps> uh, I didn't like it as a child. I don't like it as an adult. Kind of so, me too. Kind of. I also, uh, I really dislike it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, like, I think that's good reading this book because I'm not going into it with high expectations. And I'm also not reading it through fangirl eyes. So I'm excited to check it out just as, like, this is something by Frank Cabra. Um, I wanted to read it in time for today's show, but it fell behind my stacks. Uh, so that was the problem. Misplacing books more often these days is a thing that keeps happening. I think it's partly age and partly because my office looks like I'm going for a Collier Brothers aesthetic these days, so <laughs> I keep being like, where? I just had that book. Where is it? 
I used to pride myself on the fact that I never misplaced books in my house, and now it happens all the time. Yeah. So I'll let you know how it is. Excellent. And that is all for today. If you want to check out TBR, go to mytbr.co slash treatyourshelf. Uh, you can buy Flight or Fright, the audiobook. It's available now wherever audiobooks are sold. And then you can go to thirdlove.com slash books for 15% off on your first order. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can visit uh, Twitter to check us out. Uh, I'm Miss Liberty, or you can visit Jen on Tumblr at Jen IRL. It's J E N N I R L, two N's because she's extra special. Uh, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com/slash all the books as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading! reading.